It's Kevin Durant of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Holla. Woo! Y'all gon' make me do my mind. Up in here, up in here. Y'all gon' make me go all out. Up in here, up in here. Everybody love me. Everybody love me. Everybody love me. Everybody love me. Oklahoma City, stop what you're doing. Because I'm about to ruin. Because now we're back once again. Once again with the ill behavior. The masters of Thunder Radio. Give it up for your boys. Blue, you're my boy. Joel. Blue, And Brad. Underground Radio. The official podcast of ESPN. True Hoop Affiliate Daily Thunder.com. Check this out. Uh, let's talk about some Thunder basketball. Turn your radio up. And now your host of Thunderground Radio, Joel and Brad. Welcome back, Thunder fans. I am Brad the Face. With me is Joel the Guy, although he is not on the line at the moment because we've been having some audio difficulties. But throughout the podcast, you will hear him talking. We This is our... our Draft Mega Podcast. So we have brought in a bunch of the best minds to talk NBA draft, what the Thunder may or may not do, who's going to be a hit, who's going to be a miss this year, and all just to get you guys prepared for this Thursday's NBA draft. We have Christopher Habis of NBA Draft Insider.com. We have Ed Isaacson of NBA Draft Blog.com and Jonathan Cavoni of DraftExpress.com. So three really good minds that are going to let you know what's going up on and what's happening this year in the NBA draft. So stick around. And first on the schedule is Christopher Havis of NBA Draft Insider. Okay, we got Chris Havis coming from NBADraftInsider.com. How you doing, Chris? Doing great. How are you guys doing over there? Doing great. Just for uh, for those of you who who aren't aware, <laughs> I guess you wouldn't be, but we just we Chris is being very gracious with us. We had an interview with him. He it was awesome, but it didn't. Uh, the audio was really poor, so he has been nice enough to do this again with us. So we really appreciate this. Oh, absolutely, guys, at any time. So, okay, we were talking about uh, who the Thunder might draft around 24, and, I mean, what you were saying that really intrigued me was you were talking about uh, Nikola Mirotic. So can we start talking about this guy? Because you had yeah. mentioned that he's the LeBron James of Europe, possibly. Well, he's, he's being talked about as a guy who, you know, think, think back to LeBron in 2003 when he came on the scene and, Everybody really liked what he brought to the table, and he had all that potential. Well, that's what Marotic is right now. He's a lottery NBA talent, and he could easily step into you know this year's draft, next year's draft, and if he didn't have his contractual issues, would be a lottery pick in the NBA and, and has a little bit of star quality about him. Um, the reason How old is he? Falling, Sorry. Well, he's, oh, he's young. He's still, if I recall correctly, he's in between that 17 to 19 range. He's still a young kid. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. He's, he's still a young man, but he signed a contract that's fairly lucrative that takes him through 2015. Wow. Okay. And so what What about him uh, do they see? Like, how tall is this kid going to get? He's about 6'10 now, a little over 225, about a shade over 225, I would say. And he's got all the intangibles of the point forward that you everybody loves to see in the NBA. He can handle the ball. He's he's physical enough to get in there and, and be a little bit dirty, but he's got a great jump shot. 
and he does a lot of the perimeter things that, you know, the NBA loves in their power forwards nowadays and the new era of the NBA, and, and he would transition fairly well to the league, and after a couple of years, just like with every European prospect of getting used to the strength and the speed, he could definitely be an impact player in this league. Uh, is he still growing? Who knows? I mean, they, they measured a uh, few of the prospects out in Europe after measuring in Chicago, and they gained an inch, so... Who knows? This kid could be seven foot by the time he decides to come to the NBA, but his 6'10 frame is good enough for what he does. But you say most likely he's not planning on coming over here. Yeah, from what I'm hearing, and there's mixed reports, obviously. You're going to hear this and you're going to hear that about everybody, but from what I'm hearing is that he's comfortable in Europe and that he could be a star out there. In the NBA, he could be a fringe star. I mean, there's potential there where he could be a great player and he could have a lot of uh, promise, but... In Europe, he, like we talked about before, he could be the superstar. He could be that guy that everybody loves. He's selling all the jerseys, and he's the star of the winning team. And, and that there's a lot of potential for that with him over there. And with the contract that runs through 2015, I don't know if him and his agent are going to be in any kind of a rush to bring him to the NBA. Now, what you're hearing, who is is there anyone likely that might slip down to 24 that really has no business being there? Yeah, yeah. A few guys could slip that far the draft is all about surprises so we could see more names of what I'm going to say but I would say Tobias Harris is a guy who is a lottery talent that very easily could slip down to that 24 range and be available for the Thunder and I mean he's an ideal fit because he's an elite talent like I said he could easily be a lottery pick in, in most years but he's just not valued that high this year for his freshman year but really good combo forward can play the three and the four great rebounder from his position and just does everything smooth and without effort. I mean, on offense, it looks like he's not even trying, and he's better than the opposition every single play. So he's a guy who absolutely could fit the mold for that team, especially if you're losing Jeff Green, who kind of did a little bit of everything we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a guy that you think, I mean, obviously we just talked about Marotic, but is there another guy that might be a good guy to stash in Europe for maybe a year or two? I mean, there doesn't really seem to be much room for a new player to come in, especially if we resign Cook. So we might look to see, you know, put a guy in Europe for a couple of years and bring him back. Yeah, there's a few guys actually that fit that mold in the range. Uh, out of Latvia, a player named Davis Bertans, he's a small forward built in the frame of a Tony Kukoc, though. He's really tall, slender, good ball handler, more naturally he'll play the small forward position. And he's a guy who could fit very well in that team. I mean, that team is all about length, positional versatility, and you know, having a lot of players that can just fit different roles. And Bertans, if he can add maybe a year or two of strength in Europe, maybe less than that, he might be a little bit more ready than some of the other prospects. He could fit right in with his team. He's a fantastic shooter, decent playmaker, got an okay handle. If he can develop the aspects of his game that he might not be as strong in, he could be a really good fit on the Thunder. And another name just to throw it out there would be Bojan Bogdanovic out of Serbia. He's not in a rush to come to the NBA either. He's probably going to stay a year or two as well. So if you want to make sure that you have his rights and you really like what he can do, he's got a little Mike Miller to his game. He's a good shooter, really tough out on the perimeter, and could be a guy who can fit in as a two or a three on most NBA rosters. He's got a really good skill set. Kyle Singler is getting quite a bit of play on mock drafts as far as the Thunder, uh, a possible Thunder selection. He kind of scares me because he seems like a guy that's that's – good at a few things but not great at anything. What's your take on Kyle? Yeah, I just saw that actually. Um, Yahoo, with uh, the help of Draft Express and ESPN with Chad Ford, went ahead and are, are hearing the same things that actually I just heard. When I got off the phone with you guys, I read that and confirmed that they do like Kyle Singler. 
and he could be a guy that they reach out for at 24 there. Is he going to be a superstar? You hit it right. He's not going to be a superstar, but with that team, look at the core of that team. It's fantastic. Probably the best the NBA has seen in 10 to 15 years with Westbrook, Harden, Durant, and Ibaka. If you look at those four guys, you don't need anybody else to come in with an ego. You don't really need anybody else to come in that's going to make major contributions, but you need to start filling in the role players on that team. And Singler could be that backup three to give Durant a breather, could play a little bit of four here and there because he's got the strength. He's got the versatility that would really click on this team. He's, he could be like the, the B value of a Tobias Harris, from what I was saying, for this team. I mean, we're okay, we're talking on a Tuesday. We're two days before the draft. What's the biggest story right now? Who, who's, who's maybe the biggest mover in this draft right now? Right now, it's the, the Europeans are the ones that are moving around the most. I think at the top of the draft, it's, there's nothing that's certain. You know, everybody's assuming that it's going to be Irving, Williams, Knight, one, two, and three. And then after three, it, you know, the party starts. <laughs> you know, it could really go any which way. The, the contract issues with Jonas Valasiunas out of Lithuania, who could go as high as Four is now probably going to fall to the end of the lottery because he's not coming to the NBA next year, which I think is a travesty. He's a top-five talent. He's a guy who's going to make an impact on the team when he gets here, and you're getting a benefit. You're getting a guy who's going to be able to stay in Europe for an extra year. You're not paying him, and he's going to continue getting better. So I don't know why a team that is probably two or three years, three or four years away from even thinking about the playoffs, if you're looking at the top ten picks, why they would shy away from grabbing a guy who could be a franchise big man, and a guy who could really impact your team with winning in a few years. So I, I think he's the biggest story. There's no reason why he shouldn't go in the top five, but he's likely going to fall between the 10 to 14 range just because of the contract issue, which is a joke. Here's what shocks me about this draft. I mean, you, you've got guys who have who didn't declare for the draft because of the, the lockout and whatnot, and, and then you got a lot of guys that are going to be taken really early that are – total risks and big question marks, but yet a guy like Campbell Walker is probably not, I mean, I think you have him going seventh, and then a guy like uh, Jimmer Fredette is going 15th. I mean, these are the guys, these were the winners of college ball, basically, but yet there's guys that are, that, you know, most likely the teams are going to take the question marks. Why is this? Well, in this draft in particular, most drafts you have some pretty, either you have great potential or you have some certainty in your top ten picks, you have some franchise changes, but in this draft, the value between maybe the 7th or 8th pick and the 20th pick probably isn't very different. Uh, if you look at the NBA careers and, and where these guys go five years from now, you're going to see guys that went 10, 15, 20, 25, have similar careers, better careers potentially than some of these top 10 picks. And that's just the weird thing about this draft. It's the role-player draft. There's not a lot of superstars or even stars available in this one. So... It's all about getting great value where you're picking, and it's all about getting a player that you know is going to help your team in a few years. And one thing that I'm starting to explore with people and making sure that they understand this is 2012 is a draft where you can find some superstars, the draft where you can find some great players, and this year you're grabbing role players. So this is a draft where you kind of want to play your hand leading into next year. Maybe get a player that you think is going to mold with your team and then start targeting the guys next year are going to make major impact on your roster. And Oklahoma City, they stole one of those picks, right? They're, they're going to be drafting in the lottery. So, you know, this is something where you want to build off of what you're doing this year into next year. I really, I mean, I like how you how you play this draft, that it's the role-player draft, which, again, goes to, I think, goes to my point, is that if you're looking for a role-player guy that you're not expecting might be a superstar, why take a risk on a guy like Cantor 
why take a risk on a guy like Biombo when you got these solid guys you've seen in college for maybe a year or two that you could you could pick? What what's yeah, so good about fact? Well, and that's another thing, Brad. How many guys have we seen? Uh, like how many busts have we seen in this in the draft in years past? Guys who were looking for potential when when the guys from college just seemed to be a better choice. What is it about these? What is it about Cantor specifically that would put him ahead of some of the other guys? It's a need thing, though, because what you're referencing is there are a lot of guards in this draft that are tenured and are going to make an impact in the NBA because they have the experience. But when you're looking at a team like Cleveland, where they lost all hope, they lost their star, they lost a million games in a row, and they're drafting one and four, they're getting Irving, who no one is projecting to be a star. They're just projecting him to be a good point guard at one. And then you turn around at four, and it's like, okay, this is where the draft really begins at four. There's nothing that you can do that's going to be really shocking. There's nothing you can do that's going to change your franchise potentially. What Cantor brings to the table, though, is that he absolutely owned every single player that, well, not every player in this draft, some of them stayed in college, but he owned the young class in the Nike Hoop Summit. He played great in the under-19 Olympic Games against some other top-tier prospects that you're getting ranked against. So he, he took care of business. He's a physical European, which you don't see very often. Same thing with Biombo, which is why he's projected higher than maybe some others. He, he's just one of those unique talents where you either roll the dice on him or you just grab someone who you know is going to make the impact that they can make, and you're not really taking those risks. Great GMs take risks, but you got to take calculated ones. And I think Cantor is a calculated risk that should pay off in the long run. He could be a superstar. Worst-case scenario, he's another one of the role players in this draft. Can you look into your crystal ball just for fun? And, I mean, if you don't want to do this, I, I respect that. But is there – give us maybe um, five years from now we're going to look back and say this guy's a bust and this guy was a complete steal. Uh, just for the fun of it, I did this uh, – the other day, too, and I, I don't feel strongly about this because I don't like to talk negatively with people, but if right. we're talking based on where they're going and, you know, what their skill set matches up at, I don't love Clay Thompson as a top 10 guy, and people see him going, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, they see him going in that range. So a guy like Clay Thompson who got into conference play and was not shut down but didn't look like the same player as he did in out-of-conference play or in tournament play, and just doesn't have that aggressiveness, doesn't feel like he even has the mentality to be an aggressive player. I think he's going to end up just being a niche player. Kyle Korver, he's better than Kyle Korver, but it's probably going to find that role. He's just going to be a shooter on a team, and if he has a better impact, you know, I hope he does, but I just see him being another shooter on a team, and he's not going to have a top-ten type career that you are used to seeing. Guys that could really shock us, you're going to see a lot of guys at the end of the draft, like Justin Harper, Andrew Gudelot, Charles Jenkins, out of that group, you're going to see those guys really make an impact in the NBA. One guy we talked about before um, we didn't get a chance to talk about on this one is Jimmy Butler out of Marquette. I think right. he's a guy that we're going to look back and go, how the heck did he fall to 35 or 40 or wherever he's going to go in this draft? He's a first-round talent. He's a, he's a beast in, the, in college, and he's going to make a major impact at the NBA level. Great defender and great athlete that just keeps getting better and just has the mental makeup to be a good NBA player. Hey, Chris, you've been awesome. Really appreciate that you're willing to, to kind of redo the interview with us. And uh, are you, you're going to be there on draft day? 
Yeah, yeah, I'll actually be there on draft day. Uh, hopefully the camera doesn't fly my way. I'm more of a radio guy, but yeah, I'll be there on draft <laughs> night, and you know, hopefully we'll we'll get some good stuff out of draft night. I'll try and keep everyone up to date with uh, with the Twitter and and what's going on. And yeah, it's definitely gonna be a funny story. It's my first time going to the draft in Jersey. I've, I've gone to a lot of events, but it's my first time going to the actual draft. Awesome. How can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, at NBA Draft Insider, just like the website is spelled out. Uh, at NBA Draft Insider on Twitter and. All they talk about is, you know, prospects and prospects and NBA drafts. So if that's your thing, then you can follow me and get everything you need there. And what do you do, you know, in, uh, I don't know, February? <laughs> what are you doing on the off season that when it's not draft time? The, the draft process is an 11-month process, right. in, in my opinion. It's, it's one of those things where if you don't start looking at these guys at the very end of the summer, like in that July-August range, if you're not looking at tape, as far as that time frame is concerned, then you're probably going to miss out and you're going to not have the information you need about all these guys. You're not going to have enough time even to watch these guys because once college season starts, I mean, hundreds of games a week, if not more, and it's really hard to keep up with what these guys are doing. So, you know, probably going to take a month off where all I'm doing is just kind of recharging the batteries and looking at what the guys are going to do in the NBA with projections and grades. And then once I'm done with that, it's just going to be – all 2012 prospects. The big board will be out for 2012 the day after the draft, and all the profiles are up there, and we'll definitely start jumping into the 2012 guys really soon. So this is a year in the making. Yeah, yeah, it's already started. It's already, awesome. The 2012 draft is so good that it's already started. Awesome. Well, we, I, like I say, I love your website. Uh, we're going to be watching it for next year, too, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, absolutely. Anytime, guys. You guys have a great rest of your day, and good luck on draft night. Thanks, Chris. You, too. Busted. Try to do what those ladies tell us. Get shot down because you're overzealous. Play hard to get females get jealous. We got Ed Isaacson from NBADraftBlog.com joining us on the phone from, are you, you're in New York? New York City, yeah. How, how's the weather in New York right now? I think it's hot, isn't it? Uh, it, it it's, it's, you know, it's a typical, it's the beginning, it's the first day of summer and it's a New York summer day. It's humid and it's overcast. <laughs> that was kind of when you said when you said first day of summer, I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And then when you said it's uh, overcast and whatnot, humid, it's not so fun yeah, there, I guess. That that's New York City for you. <laughs> we we have a guy that's in New York right now with the draft about to happen, and you're asking him about the weather. That's right. You know, it's, you, you got to ease yourself into these things, man. Come on. I don't. When, you, you, have, you have to remember though. This is this is. The year the draft it actually isn't here in New York. Oh, that's right. We're head, everyone, everyone's heading off to Newark on Thursday night. <laughs> What's the deal with that anyway? Because I'm watching these old drafts, and they they traveled around. It was nice when they traveled around. I remember uh, they had well, the, the the 98 one was in Vancouver. It was it was beautiful. I was there. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, it became more of just a logistic kind of thing yeah. because. You know, of course, the NBA, the league offices are located right here in, in New York City. Uh, but, you know, because they're renovating Madison Square Garden this, this summer, you know, in time for next uh, basketball season, that they, you know, they had to stay somewhat close. And, I, you know, I think, you know, with, all, with the net story going on, 
um, with them eventually leaving Jersey. Um, Newark actually did a great job hosting uh, the NCAA tournament this year. You know, I think it actually... I don't think it's going to be a bad experience. I'll put it this way. I think I think it's going to, you know, it's not going to have the the aura of being in Madison Square Garden, but I don't think anyone's going to miss not being there. All right. Well, let's uh, let let's get into this here. I'm I'm interested first. Ed is there seems to be three top point guards: Kyrie Irving, Brandon Knight, and uh, Kemba Walker. Is Kyrie Irving that much better than Knight and Walker? At the, at this point, no. I mean, as of today, no. Out of the three, Kemba Walker is the best player. Uh, but Kyrie Irving, you know, especially when you're talking about a number one pick, uh, his potential is much greater than the other two. And you know, just when it, the moment that Cleveland won the lottery, Kyrie Irving then made more sense than the rest of them because. All of a sudden, now you have your new face of the franchise that replaces LeBron. And that's, on top of being a very good point guard, Kyrie Irving brings you that. Kyrie Irving is going to be the guy you, you know, you put on billboards and, you know, he's going to bring in season ticket holders. He's now, that what, kind of personality. What, what makes this potential? Is that, are you talking about like athleticism? It's all around. There's, there's, when you even when you look at his weaknesses, there's nothing that you would say take a lot for him to overcome that. Right. He came into college being a very good all-around player. Um, you know, I think the biggest comparison being thrown out there by a lot of people is Chris Paul right now to Kyrie's you know to Kyrie's all-around game, and you know parts of it yeah are very accurate. I think Kyrie Irving can see the floor as well as he does. Um, he, he's extremely athletic with, you know, with a solid build. But I think Kyrie at this point is a much better shooter than Chris Paul was at the same age. Okay. What? Uh, here's another thing about this draft. I mean, it seems like it's a very risky draft. A lot of these guys. I mean, Kyrie hasn't really played that many games. You got a guy like Cantor, who's nobody has really seen him too much, and we're talking about him going very early in the lottery. Uh, what? Talk about some of these other guys. Like, what do you think about Cantor? Yeah, you know, again, it's it's tough to sort of, you know, sort of plan out what his future potential is going to be because no, the last time anyone saw him play was at the Nike Hoop Summit, you know, fourteen or fifteen months ago at this right. point, um, where. He put up, he had a phenomenal game, but then when, it, yeah, once you real, yeah, once you sort of factor in that he had already played professional basketball and he put up these big numbers against basically high school kids. And we don't really know how old he is, truly, do we? Um, no, Cantor, I, you know, um, Cantor, I think, you know, we have a very accurate read on, okay. and he, he's nine, he is 19 years old. Okay. I'd heard maybe because he was maybe going to play with uh, with Kentucky, but then he got redshirted. Is that right? No, he didn't get redshirted. The NCAA said no. Oh, um, I see. You, okay, <laughs> you, you, you played you, you, you played professional basketball. Uh, it's, I mean, that's that's basically the bare bones. Of it. Uh, it was factored in to how much money he made. You know, he was being paid what a professional basketball player would be paid over there. Okay. 
Um, and so that was their problem. So he now he was ruled ineligible. Uh, you, th- you you talk about like he had a really ni- good Nike Summit. It's like these these some of these players like Biombo. I mean, he had one really good game, right, where he had that triple double with ten blocks. And then now we're looking at him as as a possible lottery pick, and I think that's quite a big risk. What do you know about him? Um, I mean, there's not a lot. I've, I mean, I've watched some of you know, I've watched you know some of his film from you know because he did play professional ball in Spain uh, in the ACB, which is the premier Spanish that you know the same league that Ricky Rubio was in, and uh, but he only played 15 to 18 minutes a game usually. Um, the guy could block shots. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but again, he, he, we're looking at it's sort of that same Cantor situation, where you know is is Biombo really eighteen or nineteen years old? Right. No one knows. You know, I if it came out that he's actually twenty one or so, okay, look at it that way. He, he had a triple double at twenty or twenty one, twenty two, whatever he is, against high school kids. And he had been playing professional basketball already. How you know how impressive? And at the end of the day, is that really right? I, um, I, and, I think. Oh, ahead, about, I'm sorry. Sorry, I was just going to talk about. I mean, if you're looking for sure bets, right? Like guys that you know aren't going to be. You're not going to be shaking your head a few years later, saying, "What the heck did we drop this guy?" I mean, normally you look at college guys, right? You look like at a guy like Campbell Walker, or even a guy like. Uh, um, Jim or Fredette. Is there a is there a, a sure bet coming out of Europe or an international sure bet? No, and that's and, and that's always going to be uh, you know the issue when you bring in international players. You know, just from my point of view, from just you know sort of years of just watching them come, you know, watching them come over and try and make the game translate. I think it's actually it's European guards who have a better shot at their game translating to the NBA game because the guard position isn't as different than it you know you know the bigs in Europe you know they're not they're not playing against you know they're not they're not facing a Dwight Howard over there right. or an Andrew Bynum or. Uh, you know, these are guys, you know, one we're looking at is, you know, uh, Mata Junis out of Lithuania. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's a 6'11", 7-foot shooting guard. You know, he doesn't like to be touched. You know, the first time someone, you know, lays him out, you don't know how he's going to react in the NBA. Because, no, you know, in, over in Europe, no one did anything like that. I find it yeah, funny I mean, when we talk about guys in Europe, it seems like what we want to hear now is... They don't play the European style. Like what I hear about Jan Vesely is he's not your typical European or, or even what I've heard about Valensunas is they, he, he's not your typical European that stands outside and, and shoots shots. I guess similar. I, I mean, I guess your typical European when they, when they talk about that is probably somebody like Andrea Bargnani where he's kind of looked down for being a more of a perimeter player. So you're looking at European guys that play more of an inside, you know, in Vasily's case, maybe kind of a thrashing game. What do you know about Jan Vasily? He's, yeah, he has fantastic size. Uh, he has an NBA-ready body, but he's still very raw. He has a few little moves, but 
you have to remember, the NBA game isn't going to be as open to him as it was over in Europe. So, again, the concern is, you know, he's not that quick. Who, I mean, his game is going to, you know, is going to be based off of who he can beat off, you know, who he can beat off the dribble, how he can make that quick first step. But, you know, who's, unless he learns how to shoot over these guys, you know, the game is going to, you know, it's not going to be that tough to stop him at the end of the day. Can you give me a couple guys that, you know, they, they might not turn into all-stars. Uh, I don't know if really there are going to be any guys turning into all-stars from this draft, but can you give me a couple guys that in a couple of years we're going to look back and go, yeah, no, that was a solid, solid pick. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of guys who will probably go in the later lottery who I think are going to have very, very good NBA careers. Uh, Chris Singleton out of Florida State is one of them. This is a, he's a guy, you know, he's six nine, so he has great size for a small forward. You know, he's going to be able to come in at the NBA level right away and be a defensive player. So, you know, he's going to come in and be the guy who he can guard. You know, he may not do a great job guarding shooting guards, but he can, and he can guard the three, and he can guard the four, and if he gets caught in a mismatch in the five, he's still a good enough defender that he can, you're not going to, you know, no one's going to try and single him out to, you know, as a mismatch. And assuming that his offensive game is going to sort of progress as it has been over the last couple of years, you know, the guy is going to be a very solid NBA player. Uh, the other guy is Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is an NBA player. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think, you know, people sort of got caught up, you know, people were caught off guard this year with how well Landry Fields played this year with the New York Knicks. But his game is not that different than Clay Thompson's. Uh, and Clay Thompson is more is more physically skilled. So, the you know, picture of the year Landry had, Clay Thompson is going to take that one step further right away. I think in the terms of of Landry Fields, I think it says almost as much as where he went and the role that he was asked to play and and that to his success as the player that he is. Um, okay, now I'm going to give you a few guys that that have come up when we talk about the Thunder the Thunder's pick at 24 and just let, I'm just going to roll these off here and just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind and maybe anything else that, that you think that we should know here. Uh, some of the guys that we've been looked at, I mean, obviously Kyle Singler keeps coming up around 24. Uh, the guy's a winner. There's no other way. <laughs> there, there's no team, including the Thunder that you, Kyle Singler can't step onto the court tomorrow at the NBA level and contribute. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, he eventually is going to settle into the small forward position, which he had done, you know, the last year and a half at Duke. Um, he's still learning to be, you know, to sort of get that jump shot down. But again, this is a guy who, you know, we're talking about a Thunder team that went far in the playoffs. Kyle Singler is just going to sort of add another piece to a winning team. Okay, what about Justin Harper out of Richmond? Uh you know, a little more concerned about him. I know a four-year guy who develops well. Um, he's not that tough, though. Uh, and 
you know, compared to someone like Singler who can play inside and out, um, it's a different kind of game. Justin Harper is going to want to roam around the perimeter. Uh, he's a good shooter, especially for his size. But, you know, I don't even, uh, I don't know if he'd be able to defend that well even at the, you know, guarding either three or the small four. You know, you mentioned about being a senior, uh, or being a four-year guy. It, it used to be that you were a four-year guy. That meant that you were ready for it, that you were going to get drafted higher. Uh, now it's almost like, I mean, what does that say? You, you might as well be like 30 years old coming into the draft or, or maybe there was elements of your game that couldn't get developed that took so much time, and maybe they're not still that good. What do you think about seniors? I, yeah, my preference is if I'm if I'm rebuilding a team, you know, if if my team if I'm in the lottery, I think you know unless there's a senior who unless you're looking at a Tim Duncan kind of senior. Um, <laughs> That's who I think I, about too, and that was like how many years ago, Tim Duncan? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, my preference then would be to sort of build around a younger guy who you can sort of develop in your own way. You know, you see the potential. But if once you get out of the lottery and you're now talking about teams that are playoff teams already, I prefer, uh, my, my preference is a three or four year guy. Um, someone who is going to come in, be able to understand the system that's already in place that's made the team a winning team. Right. And again, most very few of these guys come from programs that aren't, weren't winning programs. Let's talk about uh, Tyler Honeycutt, UCLA. Not a fan, and um, I know I'm one of the few. Um, I just don't. I, I don't see. You know, he, he's a phenomenal slasher. The guy can get to the basket, um, but he's not extra quick. Uh, his attitude isn't that great. And I'm not sure. You know, it's sort of, you get this UCLA problem where ever since Ben Howland came to town, you know, the sort of, you know, the aura of UCLA has changed a bit. And when you see guys, because he's such a demanding coach who can't deal with the system, you know, are you going to want that kind of guy on your team? Tyler Honeycutt, there was no reason he shouldn't stay at least another year in college. But, you know, the hard work in that part of it just became too much for him. A couple guys out of Europe, then. Uh, Davis Bertans? Yeah, another, you know, again, we're looking at a, you know, what I guess is, you know, being considered uh, what you would call your Euro, you know, your Euro big. You know, he's around 6'10", uh, he's thin, there's no doubt he can shoot. Um, but again, I, you know, I think people sort of get into this allure, and I think it might get worse now after, for years it was always we want to find the next Dirk. <laughs> and now Dirk, Dirk wins a championship. Uh, you know, and I, I'm not afraid as much of, NBA execs getting into that mindset because they know they know their jobs. Right. Um, especially the guy, you know, the Oklahoma, you know, Sam and Rob Hennigan and those guys in Oklahoma City are, you know, it's one of the best front offices you're going to find. But I think you know, you, you're going to see it more from the, you know, the casual to you know, uh, semi-fervent fan who's going to say, well, why can't we get a Dirk? You know, Europe is, you know, Europe is filled with Dirks. <laughs> uh, 
And I think, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say Bertans isn't going to be a solid NBA player, but there's nothing about his game other than his size that stands out to me at all. Okay. I'm going to give you one more name, and then and then i got to let you go, but I'd love to get you after the draft because I'd love if, – if we end up drafting a guy, uh, which I don't even know if we are going to. To be honest, I, I could see Sam just getting rid of this pick, but if we do, I'd love to hear your thoughts on him. But let me give you one more name, uh, Nikola Mirotic. Again, I mean, he, you know, I, I think, you know, we're looking at possibly three or four years down the road with maybe adding on another 20 pounds or so. I, his skill level is unbelievable. Um, He's one of the few European players where I could see he could become much more versatile. I think with the added bulk, he could be a, a, a very good low-post player. Um, but he also has that ability to stretch you out a bit. Um, but at this point, he's just not there. So if the th- you know, for example, if the Thunder want to, you know, feed no immediate need that they can fill anywhere else. And they want to, you know, stash him for a few years. I think it would, it would be a very solid pick. Awesome. I just don't know if I, I just don't know if I would take him at twenty-four. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Ed. Oh. Really appreciate oh. this. And like I say, if, if you're up for it, we'd love to have you back in a few days. It does. Let me you know, let me know. I'll be ready. Awesome. Do you want to plug anything about your site or anything? Uh, just NBADraftBlog.com. Um, we're, you know, at this point, uh, I'm rolling out interviews actually with a bunch of the guys that we talked about today, guys I've had a chance to speak to over the last few days. And, you know, at this point, right, we're just wrapping up draft coverage, and this is the best part of the year. So, <laughs> awesome. So you have you, you said you had a chance to interview some of these guys. Yeah, um, I've, you know, sort of. Uh, the top, Tyler Honeycutt, Kyle Singler, and those guys, uh, I've had a chance to speak to, so hopefully, you know, I'll be gonna be able to type up and get these interviews up on the site in a few days. Beautiful, awesome, very cool. Alright, well you have okay. a good one and we'll, we'll talk to you in a little while. Great, thank you. Thanks, Ed. Plastic bag drifting through the wind, wanting to start again. Do you ever feel this so paper thin? Next, we have Jonathan Gavoni of DraftExpress.com. And how do you judge like what's a good prospect? A few weeks ago, Joel and I and Royce were having a discussion on on Stromile Swift as a guy who you know went okay went okay in the draft, uh, but didn't really pan out. As an NBA player, what specifically are you looking for? Like, what tips you off of, okay, this guy's going to work? Well, I think you do this year after year, and um, and you see players, and, um, you know, you've seen that guy before already. So you you look for, like, specific, specific characteristics, um, especially, you know, on the physical side. I think that's really important, uh, you know, size, length, uh, athleticism. And then just, you know, how hard a guy competes. I mean, I can watch a guy for 30 seconds and have a pretty good idea of, you know, is he, is he, is he a competitor or not? I mean, sometimes guys can fake it or not, but you can kind of see in their body language, you see in the way that they approach the game. There are certain things that jump out at you immediately in, in the first two, three minutes of watching a player. 
And then the rest you have to really focus in on and see about his skill level, um, you know, and what kind of team that he is, what kind of basketball IQ he has, or how experienced he is. And a lot of that has to do with his background as well. For me, it's really important to do research into what kind of player he was in high school, what kind of guy he is off the court, what kind of team that he is, how coachable is he, because those are the things that are going to play a huge role in whether a guy ends up pinning out or not. And I think you talk about Stromoff Swift, and I think that's maybe where, you know, that he comes up short because in the physical tools department, the guy should have been an NBA, you know, a 10-time NBA All-Star. But I think the reason that he didn't pan out is most likely because he was missing something in terms of his intangibles, in terms of his feel for the game, in terms of his work ethic, uh, you know. But maybe in a different world, if he went to a different place, different coach, and different high school, different college, Maybe things could turn out a little bit different for him. You know, we don't know, and that's that's the beauty in all this. I think you make a really good point there that where they go, the situation they go into, almost plays as much of a role in their success as anything they can do personally. Uh, definitely, and that's, I think, Oklahoma City, you know, and that's, that's they do an unbelievable job of, of developing their players, and I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that in the NBA is not just acquiring talent, but it's what you do with the talent you already have. It's and that's where the behind-the-scenes work that trainers and the assistant coaches, I mean, that's that's absolutely huge. People that are going to work with them on a day-to-day basis um, with their off-court habits, with their nutrition, with the you know their, their strength and conditioning program. And these are, nobody ever thinks about these things, but these are the little things that separate, you know, a team that's a seventh or eighth seed from a team that's competing for a championship, in my opinion. So toot your own horn here. Who is a couple players that throughout the years you've kind of, you called it out and you were right and maybe everybody else was wrong? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no real secrets in the NBA draft. I think that, um, you know, you can be a little bit early on guys. You can be a little bit, a little bit higher on certain players than others. But, um, you know, we're, for the most part, you know, you're just trying not to make mistakes. I think that's a big thing, <laughs> especially when I'm, working with teams that, that I'm consulting for in Europe and even in the NBA, the big thing is just don't, don't mess up. You know, don't, don't miss an obvious thing. I mean, if a guy obviously is, is not a good fit for your team, if he's a bad, if he's a bad person, if he's not coachable, if he doesn't fit with your system, that's things that, you know, you need to be aware of. So I think that just not, not screwing up, not being lazy, you know, just watching guys, that's, that's the biggest thing you can do in my opinion. A lot has been made about this year not being a strong draft, but it feels like other than uh, LeBron's year and maybe the, the KD Odin year and maybe the Rose year, almost every year they're saying, oh, this, this draft just isn't that good. What, what is your feeling on these guys? I think this is going to be a draft that produces a lot of very solid NBA players. I think that the part of the reason that people are pessimistic about this draft is because there were so many guys ended up not putting their name in, and it was just kind of, it was like one week, you know, Harris Barnes decided not to, and then the next week it was Paris Jones, and then it was Jared Sellinger, so he got, like, slightly more depressed every single time, and then the whole sentiment of the lockout, I mean, that played into it, too. Um, so I think when it's all said and done, there are going to be very good players drafted, you know, one through 60, and there's going to be good players that are drafted, uh, and are, that, that didn't get drafted, that ended up making the league as undrafted free agents. So I, I think that if a team that's doing it, it, its work and knows what its needs are and understands the prospects and, and their limitations, they can be able to find you know, a solid piece um, anywhere they're picking. 
When you're out there uh, scouting all these guys, do you notice other NBA teams that are there? Are there, are there a few NBA teams that might stand out as they put more work and send more guys to, to more places in the world to check things out? Yes. I think that, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm going to games, I'm sitting with these people. So you, you see them time and time again, over and over again. And I think that the teams that, you know, first of all, you have to talk about the teams with the biggest budget. I mean, those are the guys that have huge staffs and they have, you know, they can send people anywhere they want. You know, like the, you know, like the Knicks, like the, you know, the Mavericks, um, you know, the Trailblazers, the Rockets. I mean, those guys are, are everywhere. Um, and then, you know, and then you have the, the teams that make, that make do with, 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 with less. And those, you know, Oklahoma City, the, the San Antonio's, um, you know, the, those kind of guys, the Denver's. So, um, I think that everybody does, you know, with the exception of a couple of teams, everybody is, is out there at, at all the games and watching all the players. So I don't think that that would be, you know, the question is how much of their GMs get out, you know, because the scouts, they're one thing, but the GMs are the guys that are, all, at the end of the day, they're making decisions. And it's tough for a GM to get out in, in November, December, January. Um, and, but, um that's that's a huge that's a very crucial part in the evaluation period, and um, so that that's where you see you know the guys that are really earning their pay. Who who are those guys? Who are the ones that are always there? Um, you know, I, I mean, we're just an Oklahoma City podcast. I think that we can talk about <laughs> Oklahoma City's on there quite a bit. I mean, <laughs> Sam is is an unbelievable worker. He's the, the guy is everywhere, and the same can be said about about Rob Hennigan and, and moving your way down. You know. I mean, those guys are, are everywhere you want to be, and they're and they're very accessible, and and they do a really good job. So, have you had a chance to see Chad Ford put out his uh, his list of guys that have been invited to the green room? Have you had a chance to see that? Um, I'm surprised that Biombo wasn't um, wasn't um, brought in. I think that Biombo, Hamilton, Jordan Hamilton, those are two guys that. Could probably get picked in the lottery that weren't on the list, but um, I think that what their NBA is trying to do is not tag every guy that's in the lottery, but they want right. to make sure that everyone's in there doesn't stay for too long. So if they don't know what a guy's floor is, then they're then they're not going to invite him, and I think that's what happened there. What are the tiers in this draft? I mean, it, it seems to me you got your top two, and then you move down to maybe what four or five guys. What are how how do you break down maybe the the lottery per se? I would say that you know there's consensus top two in this draft, and then it's um, it's anybody's guess after that. You know, I mean, it's tough for me to to say there's six guys in the next year. There's eight guys. It really depends who you talk to, and I yeah. think it depends on what uh, you know how a team plays. For some teams, a guy will be in second tier. For some teams, they'll be in the fourth tier. Some guys have character red flags. They're untouchable. They're in the the, the zero tier. So um, I haven't really looked at it that way. Because for me, it seems like if, I mean Brandon Knight, uh, Ennis Cantor, those guys aren't going past you know five or six, you know. And then you, a guy like uh, then you got to look at Vesely and and so let's talk about Oklahoma City then. Um, you have us taking Kyle Singler. Which Brad and I were talking. Brad, do you want to ring in on that? Well, I don't. It, 
I think a lot with the Thunders, how the Thunder draft and how Presti plays this will tell us a lot about what's going to happen as far as free agents, guys like Nate Robinson, uh, Daquan Cook. Uh, I'm thinking, man, if we take Kyle Singler, it means Cook's probably not staying around. I don't know uh, if that's necessarily true. Well, what other guys do you have kind of getting picked? Or, well, I mean, to me, Kyle Singler is a, is a three who can play four. And Daquan Cook is a two guard, so I'm not sure how if those two are mutually exclusive necessarily. Well, just money wise, <laughs> moving forward with the, with the team. But well, what? I mean, I don't know. Daquan Cook is probably a minimum salary guy at this point. I don't know if he's if, you know if he's not. You can bring another guy that's just like Daquan Cook. So yeah, who would be a good guy? I mean, I've always considered that that either Presti is going to move the like trade the pick and get out of the first round, or maybe take a guy and stash him in Europe for a year. Is Who would be a guy? Is that crazy to do with a, with a first-round pick? No. I mean, if there's a player that has value there that is better than the, the 24th player in the draft, and he's there on the board, right. but he's not going to come over next year, I think that they're definitely in a position to, uh, to be patient. I mean, nobody's going to question Sam's job security he doesn't have to hit a home run with the number 24 pick to right. get his job. So I think that he's in a position to do a lot of things. I, I heard an interview with you, and you seem pretty high on Jonas Valanciunas. What's what's the deal with his contract? I know a lot of it has been going on around around that. What are the what's how likely is he to come over this year? Well, he has three more years on his contract, and he's, he has no NBA out. So they are uh, you know they're negotiating right now to figure out what type of compensation he will get. If they do, if they, you know, if they do buy him out of his contract, but the big question here is who and when, because the, there's the, the NBA is most likely going to be locked out for, for a, a fairly decent period of time. And, um, you know, I mean, his team can't wait forever. I mean, they start their training camp on September 1. So if it doesn't, if, if he's not bought out by then, I mean, do they sign another player? Do they keep him? I mean, they have to think about, you know, they're in a tough situation there too. So, um, so I mean, if he stays another year in Europe, I don't know if that's the end of the world. Especially if the, there's no NBA until January, there's no training camps, there's no, uh, you know, there's no summer league. So, I mean, I, I think it might be actually beneficial for him development-wise to stay here for the year, play in the Euro League at a very high level against the best players in the world. He'll be getting a lot of minutes. It'll be in a comfortable situation in his home country. I don't think that's the end of the world. That's an interesting take. That's an interesting take. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the podcast. Uh, if you're listening, make sure to check out uh, draftexpress.com this whole week, as I'm sure the coverage is going to continue to ramp up. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jonathan. Have a good one. Once again, we just wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to download this podcast. Hopefully, it has got you ready for Thursday's big draft night. We will be having another podcast to post draft podcast sometime later this week so be watching for that i'm not sure exactly what day that'll be up but be watching for it uh let another friend know about this podcast and thanks again for taking the time to download we'll see you guys later